I told you you're coming up here this morning. You remember that? <laughs> Hector had a great opportunity with our, uh, one of our groups a couple of years ago to go to, it was 2012, wasn't it? I believe so. Two years ago. Yep. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and uh, they went to Honduras and had some, uh, a great experience there. So I've asked Hector to tell us a couple of things because there's some different focus points that we're going to be trying to introduce through the morning today. We'd like for you to hear how education occurs as a missional church, how that actually is affected. Uh, discipleship is an issue, which is some, some of the aspects you'll hear as uh, Hector actually had discipleship occur for him on this trip, as well as watching it happen for some others. Uh, you'll hear about some of those who are maybe a little more disenfranchised, a little more marginalized, and, and how that impact has a, makes a difference in their lives. And there's just some key elements like that that we would like for you to be able to pick up this morning as we're walking through. So Hector, first of all, you, as we were talking about your experience, there was a fabulous story about a child that was watching you. He was paying attention while you were working. And uh, it left some impact on you. Tell us that story. Um, first of all, when I went down there, uh, I wasn't going to plan to work that much because I am old. <laughs> <laughs> so I was more of a This is not the standard posture as you go on a mission trip, by the way. <laughs> just saying that. Okay, go ahead. So I just watched um, everybody else work. And whenever we need to communicate with the local people... I was there to translate, but um, I thought that I might have to work, so what I did is I uh, went to Target before I left, and I bought a cheap pair of gloves. I think it was two ninety five or something like that. So here we're digging a uh, trench across the road to get the water to the place, and a couple of the people here uh, were doing that. It's all hand. Nothing is... Uh, um, automatic or electric right. or machines is um, there was um, I forgot what they call that thing that busts the rocks and right. the road was not a road it was just uh, rocks <laughs> so there was uh, like three or four of us uh, that were digging and I was just standing there watching them dig um, with uh, my, the, my gloves were in my back pocket so there was uh, this little kid and pretty much all the kids there smile all the time. And this particular kid was just looking at my back and not smiling. So this went on for about two or three minutes. So I asked him, why are you looking at me? And he says, well, it seems like you have a pair of gloves that you're not using. Can I have them? <laughs> Um, the reason and by he, the way, his observation was true. You were not doing a darn thing with those gloves. Nope. They were totally worthless to you. <laughs> I can see if I was wearing them, but since uh, he saw them, they're pretty smart. So he saw that um, I had this brand new pair of gloves in my back pocket. So he uh, very politely asked me, yeah, can I have them? And I was going to tell him, well, I might need them later on. This was like the first or second day we were there. So um, I, I went to my back pocket, and right away, the face on that child, he was like eight years old, um, just lit up. 
big smile ear to ear. And I give him the gloves. And he says, you know what I'm going to use them for? And I said, no, I, I guess for working. And he said, no, I uh, play soccer. And I'm a goalie. And that's what I'm going to use the gloves for, to catch the ball better. Wow. That's it. You hadn't told me that part. That's really interesting. I don't so, tell you everything. Well, you know. I know that. I, that I'm, I'm used to that by now. So what an interesting deal because, of course, if most of us would have been in that circumstance, put yourself there. You're, you're kind of observing others' work, but the potential is you might be able to, to jump in. And you notice a child who's looking at you in that way. I mean, what would your response have been? It's an opportunity to literally kind of ask yourself the question about what are we doing here? What are we really trying to accomplish? And thankfully, Hector could communicate with him well enough to actually find out what he was thinking, and then he could tell you the soccer story. That's very cool. Now, you mentioned the smile on his face. You mentioned some things to me about that general observation of the culture, and then even just their, their pace of life. Tell us a couple things about that. Well, um, they have uh, one speed, and it's slow, slow, slow. Um, <laughs> they do everything. It's not like us, hustle and bustle. Um, the electric, we have one electric appliance, and that was a welder. And when they hook up to the electric, they just go to the wires with clamps, and they click and click. And that was even before the meter. I don't think they used the meter. There was a meter there, but um, it was just weird how... Mm-hmm. They use uh, the electricity there. Mm-hmm. Um, Very good. Yeah, so then I was wondering, the observations that you made that you said to me about, you know, everybody seemed to be pretty content, in, even with the pace of life that they lived and with their lack of maybe stuff that Americans have. But they seem to be pretty content. you have any comments on that? Yep, uh, pretty much everybody... Um, there was only one house that was actually uh, supported by Americans, and uh, we actually stuck up some of that house, and it was funny to look at that. But they really live in houses that is just uh, tin or cardboard or just wood. Um, but they're all proud of what they have. Um, the people um, would force us to go and see their humble abode, um, dirt floors. Um, if they had a toilet, what you do is you get a bucket of water and you go in the toilet with you. And after you do your business, it, um, it has how you flush the toilet. Hmm. Uh, even the school before this uh, upgrade that we did for them, that's what they did. They had water and two stalls on each end. They will go get a bucket of water, go do their business, and they will flush the toilet. But they're all proud, and it made me change my way of thinking. I always thought, you know, I need more. I don't have enough. I need a better one. And here are these people that have nothing. Um, And they're proud. They smile. They treated us very friendly. I was afraid that because Americans coming in, they were going to shun us. But um, they all welcomed us with uh, open arms. Hmm. So here's how discipleship looks there. 
you, if you're listening through all of that, you hear the fact that you know, lifestyle is affected. If you think discipleship is just about like reading books of the Bible and studying to learn more about what those phrases mean, that's part of discipleship. But actually, the Bible makes more sense when you can reference other scenarios that are about daily life. Building a disciple is not making you some kind of uh, superhero as far as spirituality goes. Building a disciple is learning what it looks like to be in your everyday life, interpret information, and then go, oh, this is what Jesus meant. I guarantee you there's some parables of Jesus that Hector now can understand differently, having been in Honduras and watching people live their daily lives. It's really good. There's another great story I want you to tell us. There was uh, a moment where the, the church was gathered and you were to function as a, an interpreter for our Americans. And you had quite an experience there. Tell us what that experience was like. That's cool. Um, actually, it was a Wednesday in the middle of the week. And we went to, as a group, uh, of, we went to worship on uh, Wednesday night. So um, the uh, minister asked me, could you translate for your English-speaking friends that are with you today? Usually we don't have to do this, but um, he was uh, good enough to concern that the people that didn't speak Spanish wouldn't know what was going on. So I said, sure. I was shaking. Never done that before. Um, talk about answering a calling. Um, it was... Uh, I think I've gained more <laughs> going there than the, the people that we helped build that school. Mm. Um, so the minister started. I had my iPhone with uh, the Bible in English and Spanish. So I was able to read the verses. So he would read a couple of verses, and then I would say it in English. So that part wasn't bad. Then the sermon started. And um, he would speak for maybe a minute, let me translate. That was only one time. <laughs> and then he just took off and started. <laughs> so I just stood there and uh, waited. And then at the end, um, <laughs> I stopped the shaking. Uh, and the reason that I stopped the shaking was that the Holy Spirit took over me, mm. and I did my sermon. That's what the, he said, preacher mm. Hector, <laughs> just by what I listened to the pastor there say, and I did my own <laughs> sermon. Um, <laughs> funny enough, you asked me, what did you preach about? Yeah. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't think it was me up there. It was the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful feeling. If you ever get that feeling, wow. You can really, with the help of God, you can conquer anything. You can move mountains. There's uh, an aspect of discipleship then that happened there. And there was an absolute sense of dependency. 
that Hector experienced. He did not have a plan, did not know what he was going to do ahead of time, was not used to, I mean, if they'd asked Jim or me or somebody who's up here all the time talking and, and giving sermons, we could pull something out. This was not a familiar zone. It was an out-of-the-comfort-zone experience for Hector, and I think that was great. Now, this has affected you even possibly for the future. It, that, uh, that trip probably is not the only trip you believe maybe you're going to be a part of. What did you mention to me? You said you had another country in mind now. Yes, I did. Um, after that day, I'm listening more. I guess maybe the Holy Spirit was always talking to me, and I just blanked him out. But I listen more. I read the Bible daily, and um, this year and last year, there's things in there that I didn't, this is my fourth year that I'm reading the whole Bible, um, and things just popped out because I'm thinking a different way now. Hmm. And lately, um, I have been um, listening about Chile. Hmm. Um, when I go down to Phoenix, which I'm leaving from here today, um, and, uh, and I attend the Vineyard Church down in Phoenix, and they, uh, they have one in uh, Chile. And also when the kids were up here a couple of weeks ago, um, the children from Uganda, from Uganda, mm -hmm. um, the, they also said that uh, they had a uh, place down there where they helped the children. So um, it's just, uh, I will ask for your prayer because I've been thinking, uh, seeing how much money it will take and if I could live down there. And uh, um, the, always, the other thing I want to say is that you guys contribute to those trips. I was sponsored. Over half of my trip was paid by people that sponsor me, and I'm very grateful for that. Good. So I hope you connected all those dots. First of all, part of the discipleship is for you because you contributed. You're a part of this bigger picture that we are as a church. We do some things right here in the parking lot that are to outreach and affect people. And we also take people to other places in the world. And it affects and it builds discipleship. Did you hear what he was saying about reading and, and hearing the Holy Spirit differently now? He's experienced something. And then reading and, and actually that experience is different now. That's discipleship. That's how this works. It's an awesome experience. Let me pray with you right now. Let's all pray. Lord, thank you for Hector. Thank you that he had the uh, courage to endure the snow here and wait to go to Phoenix until after this <laughs> event today. Thank you that he did that. Uh, thank you even more that he uh, took the step. It took great courage. I remember processing that with him, uh, for him to decide to step out, use the skill that he had of being truly bilingual, and uh, make himself available, and uh, the impact was far greater than what he anticipated, I know that, and he continues to be impacted today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, give him uh, your spirit, your mind for the future, so that he knows as he to go to Chile as he have something else that you have intended for him. Um, he represents many who have done this, God. And I appreciate that. And I uh, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give Hector a big hand. And I want to thank you. And Pastor Mark, you've been uh, great leaders.
Thank you for me, and I might be calling you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right, here's what we're going to do. Kiddos, we would like to do something for the kids. So any kids are in here who would like to come? All right. Oh, Dave, I'm going to grab this one then. Okay. So just so a couple of questions. First of all, the obvious question, we're talking about missions today. What in the world's a missionary? Someone that talks about God to other people. Any other ideas about what a missionary is? Someone who travels the world to different places who don't know about God. Okay. Very good. Any other ideas? What do missionaries do then? We talked about them talking to people. Is that mostly what they do? Is there, are there other things that missionaries do? Any ideas? But look at all the blank stares. <laughs> Gives you an idea. We've got some work to do. They build homes for the homeless. Okay, so there's some actual work that they do many times that's actually physical, like Hector was talking about in his story, about they were digging some trenches and they were welding things and they worked on some other things. Any other things that they do? Do missionaries teach things other than the Bible? Yeah, yeah, you almost said yes, and then you weren't sure if you should say yes, but yes is the answer. Yes, missionaries often do that. One of the things they do is they teach skills a lot of times. It's part of what missionaries do. Now, let me ask you a question. If I gave you pieces and parts, what are these? Okay, you can take these home for sure because I can't get rid of them, right? Now, if I gave you a bunch of bags like this, would you know how to make, I gave you two, you get extra, extra credit for that. Would you know how to make a rope out of Walmart bags? Got any ideas? What, what would you guess? How would you think that that could happen? What would you do? How, where would you start? Say what? Make it straight. Okay, make it straight. That's a good idea to make it a rope. What else? Uh, you would take, you would like, rip a part of it and, like, try to squish it together and, like, wrap it like this. Okay. So you would take it apart into small strips and spin it like it was, like, a string or something, right? Let me show you something. This is a rope made out of Walmart bags. See the end of that? That's exactly what you were talking about, Evan where this lady sitting on her porch in Haiti takes these Walmart bags and cuts them into small strips. And then she makes them into a single strand. And then she takes the single strands and weaves them together into three strands and makes a rope. Pull on that. Hold against. This thing is strong. Actually, people use this for their donkeys and for their horses in Haiti. And she sells these off of her porch. Part of what happens sometimes is that missionaries help in education, help other people figure out some things, and sometimes we learn things from them. I would have never imagined that somebody could take Walmart bags and make a rope like this until I went to Haiti. Education happens both 
ways. Pastor Jim's going to talk in a little bit from now about education. And before he comes, though, we're going to hear some from Mr. Mike, who I think is going to come up here. But you guys get to keep those bags. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the children. And uh, help us as we... Uh, the adults, the parents, the families, the pastors, as we talk about education to help them understand what is a missionary? What does a missionary do? How does education work for both of us to learn from each other? Uh, Bless that lady who's probably sitting on that porch today, not far from Pastor Mano's house, and uh, making rope to sell. Uh, Bless her, give her courage for her day. Uh, we love you and fill these children with m- knowledge and wisdom from your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can take those bags back over to your parents. They'll be very happy about that because they don't know what they're going to do with them. And then Jude can grab this one. Good morning. I was going to ad-lib a little bit, but Jude said, keep this to three minutes. So I'm going to, I'm going to read you my prepared three-minute uh, presentation on a gentleman by the name of Ross, Ross Madsen. A lot of you folks may know Ross or have heard him or seen him uh, here at church. He's been gone about a year now, and here's the story. I first met Ross about 11 years ago when he worked for the contractor working on my house. We were already acquainted when our benevolence committee became involved with him. He was a guy struggling with addiction and the complications that combined with his hip injury that made it nearly impossible for him to function in a healthy way. The more his injury deteriorated, the more acute his pain and uh, the deeper his uh, fall into addiction and alcoholism. DCC had helped Ross numerous times with food, shelter, and occasional medical treatment. We had not seen him for quite a while when I phoned him just to see how he was doing one one afternoon, and God was working on us uh, all that day because at that point, Ross had pretty much uh, was ready to give up. He he was pretty much... Uh, pretty much over it. Uh, we attempted to get him. The benevolence team all agreed that there was really no way to address the addiction until his physical issues were uh, addressed. And Ross was, uh, we had made several attempts uh, locally to get some free surgeries, uh, charitable, charitable surgeries, but he was rejected because of the high risk of his addiction uh, nature. And... Uh, He had no insurance, uh, Medicaid, no nothing. His right hip was bone on bone and was considered uh, one of the worst cases that the doctors have seen as far as a deteriorated hip. Uh, He was in constant pain uh, and it was extremely severe. God was working again when soon afterwards I met a guy at the rec center who, uh, who told me about a program called Colorado Walk out of Porter Hospital in Denver. It helps indigent people uh, get their necessary surgeries. We contacted these amazing doctors, and in time, they approved Ross's case and gave uh, Ross his homework assignment to qualify and prepare for surgery. Here, we restarted our journey together, 
Ross had to get his health under control and could not use alcohol and had to prepare himself for a very extensive hip replacement surgery. He stayed in my home for nearly a year with the goal of preparing for a new life with a new hip. We had many ups and downs with the challenges that come from an addict. So many people rallied to help Ross, to encourage him and challenge him, and sometimes he was very tough to love. We all looked toward the goal of his surgery and treatment. Long after, uh, and after long and difficult days, he was finally able to get the medical relief he needed. Unfortunately, after the surgery, the doctors prescribed the very drugs that he had been addicted to and had such a challenge with. <clears throat> Relapses into alcohol accompanied the drugs. After some very sad episodes and more tough love from his friends, Ross hit bottom and realized that his life depended on addiction recovery. The next miracle sent Ross to Sarasota, Florida, where a personal friend and business associate of mine was involved with the number one Salvation Army recovery program. This friend facilitated Ross's integration into the community and into the program. And just another way God had uh, his fingerprints all over this, <laughs> turns out that Ross's dad and sister lived in Sarasota, Florida. So he was able to reestablish some broken relationships with them that had been broken for decades. God's fingerprints were, were all over this. I ask for prayer for Ross because, as we all know, with addiction, it's a lifelong struggle. And uh, it's amazing how God can pull some rusty old tools out of his tool shed and put them to work in the lives of others. And if you believe maybe you're not the sharpest tool in the tool shed, you're exactly who God's looking for to put to work. Thank you. Got palm trees and we got snow. I, too, to save time, I'm going to read this. Uh, Ross is such a big story in our church. So many of you helped, and we're blessing to him. His story is a wonderful example of why God calls us to benevolence ministry. A broken person, like we all are, came in seeking help and finding God. How amazing to be part of one man's journey, as messy and as painful as it was, and for especially for Mike, oh, my gosh, to find his faith. And Ross did find his faith. The DCC team stayed committed to Ross even when his own commitment was weak. God is like that for each of us, isn't he? He calls to us and he waits patiently for us to answer. We are so proud of Ross's new life, his new commitment to his sobriety and to Jesus. His faith is growing daily and he's even able to mentor others who are plagued by addiction. And by his experience, he helps them immensely because uh, he knows of what he speaks. What an amazing testimony he is, and we pray for his continued strength, patience, grace, and his continued sobriety. We're praying for him for the rest of our lives, uh, for, for Ross. Foundation of the Benevolence Ministry is to meet diverse challenges. And after these many years and many people, we have learned that God sends each person in who requests help from us. 
Each person is prayed for, and their needs are carefully uh, considered. Sometimes we're unable to give the help that they request. And this is, we've found, usually an unpopular decision. But we always ask God for direction in each request for help. What honors God in this situation? What honors the individual or the, the family? What is real help? When is struggling good in the long run? And when do we actually help someone by allowing them to struggle a little? Can we affect someone more deeply by helping in different ways? Developing tools and skills or just listening? And the answer is yes to all of these and no, because it just basically depends. We are truly grateful for this congregation's value of the benevolence ministry. You're touching real lives in real ways, and we wanted to show you Ross's story so you could, you could feel confident in this ministry. Ross is a long, long-term sto- story and a long, long-term commitment for us. We have, we have people we see one time. We have people we've worked with for years. Ross is a good example of that. We thank you for your faithfulness because it matters, and, uh, and it has real effects on real people. Thank you. The sort of thing that you saw. I want to talk about education for just a moment. You know, when we think about the Great Commission, it's easy for us to think about evangelism. And uh, that is certainly a part of it. But he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And the second part of that is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So teaching is a very significant part. I want you to if, if just take a moment and just picture this. It's very hard for us as Americans to grasp this. A year ago, you knew nothing about Christianity. Absolutely nothing. All you knew was Hinduism or Buddhism. Maybe you sacrificed animals. Maybe you went to the temple and you, you uh, said your mantras and things like that. You knew nothing about Christianity. And then someone uh, leads you to the Lord. You hear the truth. Your spirit is quickened and you come to know the Lord. And um, if you're married, you're, your spouse immediately divorces you. You're kicked out of your caste. Uh, You have no place to go. You lose your job instantly because they let your employers know that you've become a Christian and you lose your job. So you've lost your family. You've lost your tribe. You lose your caste. You lose uh, everything that's near and dear to you. The only thing you have left is truth because you heard the message about Jesus and it made sense to you. You're, You're poor. You have nothing. You may only have one set of clothes, not even a change of clothes. That may be all you have. What would you do? You'd cry out to the Lord. How would you learn? How would you do that? And um, you have, a, you have a, a growing passion because you realize that there's no one to tell your family, even though they've kicked you out. There's no one to tell you about Christ, to tell them about Christ. You may be the only one. Um, as you know, the Spears and us just got back from Kathmandu, Nepal, and we put together a short presentation for you to see. When you see these students, realize that most of them were in that situation one or two years before. Uh, if they're a third-year student, it's obviously three or four years. But uh, uh, within a year of going to this college to learn about Christ, that was their situation. So that's the environment.
Woodville and Alicia Spear. We had the unique opportunity to go to Nepal and help with this educational opportunity that Jim's been involved with for umpteen years. I don't know. I think he's eight years, nine years, something like that. Crazy. Anyway, for me, the big impact was looking at these students and realizing that they have the opportunity to really impact their culture. These people are going to be the most educated people in their villages when they go back to these remote villages. And um, I loved the idea of them being um, challenged on some of those worldview things that they might not get from their other instructors. And frankly, the instruction they get from Jim every year is probably much better than they ever get anywhere in their education. So it was amazing watching that whole opportunity. You spent some time, too, with uh, some of the other, other operations just around that, that area. Uh, orphanage and yeah, right. uh, what a great opportunities those were for you to get to meet some of the girls and uh, spend time with them. There's a, a lot of uh, problems with sex trafficking in that particular area, uh, as well as India, uh, etc. And Lish has uh, been involved uh, in counseling with those people numbers of numbers of, for numbers of years, and that's been really good. Um, I love the educational opportunity. Of course, just to teach is fun for me. Um, but to have the recipients so enthusiastic is really great. And they, they were really fun. And they do have an opportunity to hear things that they probably won't hear uh, from other, other teachers that are nationals at this point. As a matter of fact, some of the translators uh, probably learn more uh, during their translation time than, than uh, maybe in some of their formal schooling. The other thing that's really exciting to me is to be able to come home and be charged up because of the opportunity to go and teach someplace else. This is a huge thing for teachers uh, like Jim, like myself, uh, to be able to uh, uh, see what's happening in other cultures and bring that back into our own ministry. And so that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, the other opportunity is just to be exposed to that culture, which is radical. It's in a very oppressive culture. There's uh, demonic influence, there's uh, dirt, dust, debris, immense poverty. Uh, a lot of time we just think about what is going on there in relationship to what happens here in the United States. We have never experienced uh, that kind of, uh, those kind of difficulties that these people live with every day. Orphans, uh, kids dying, uh, etc. And uh, we have the opportunity to teach and counsel in those areas, which is really exciting. Uh, love the time uh, together with Jim and Nancy, uh, which is profitable. Love the time with uh, uh, the couple that we stayed with there. And uh, it was just an incredible opportunity to go. Uh, it's not an entertainment opportunity. It's an opportunity to really to, to serve, to exhaust yourself uh, in service for others. So we're really thankful for the opportunity to do that and thankful for uh, the church's prayer uh, for us. We needed it desperately. They still do, and we'll be praying for numbers of the students for years. Hi, my name is Asis Lama. And hi, my name is Asimta Tama. And we are from the first year BTS student. Yeah, and... <clears throat> Yes, we like to give uh, special thanks to Bill. Uh, we have taught a wonderful lesson. And 
and many things <coughs> and we learn about from his life many things and he's very good good teacher and he's very um, smart teacher also yes and I we like to know that he's a true servant of God and how he um, in behavior also he <laughs> apply that and it to me for uh, to me that he is a good example for me yeah for me also he's very good example for us not yeah. for me only yeah. for our holy student of the first year is a very good teacher and thanks for our yeah, our gym our team for gym sir for sending your team to teach us these all things yes we are really very grateful and thankful to you all of your team and we will pray for your good journey and uh, upcoming days also we will pray for you and your church uh, and pray for us yeah. also uh, yes. because we are also struggling struggling to talk English and we are struggling for reading also, studying also. Please pray for us. Yes. I'm from Nepal and I'm studying in Nepal Bible College and I, I just like to give thanks uh, my teacher uh, Jim Howard because he, he has been teaching to me in from the first year uh, till this um, third year so I just like to give thanks to him and he teaching lots of things by his teaching I uh, I learned many things and which I want to apply in my ministry in my field and I just like to give thanks from the bottom of my heart uh, I don't know many times in our country and many times in our church we used to uh, make our own theology and we used to make our own theology which, which is, brings lots of problems in our church, in our ministry, in our country. But when he came and when he teaches us and now we know about many things about theology and which we, I, just like to, uh, I just like to apply in my ministry, in my church. Thank you. My name is Dina Swiss from third year. I am learning. Uh, I want to give thanks. For, I, I want to give thanks uh, Jim Howard and Elisa because they are teaching theology. So, theology. So that I like to give thanks to all uh, those who are coming. Do those stories help you get a picture, a broader picture of the ministry that we have going on outside of the church? That was our goal, was to do that. You know, um, when you think about, Mark mentioned earlier that um, we are impacted just as much as they are. I uh, often use mentally the metaphor of the communion table, where when we come to the table as believers, we come as equals. We stand before the Lord equally. And uh, it's very easy when we, when we move outside of our church into any situation for us to be seen as people that are rescuing or helping others. And that's not really true. 
we're a gift from the Lord. In fact, did you notice that uh, uh, we have three very different types of ministries that we've presented today? Our ministries in the church and outside the church, it's easy to think of them in terms of programming, that we've organized them by programming. But the truth is, we organize them along uh, passionate lines, lines of passion. When you look at all the passages on spiritual gifts, all those passages are given us, to us to help us grasp one simple idea that the Holy Spirit has gifted our church to do the ministry internally and externally that he wants us to do. And so every there's no one ministry more important than another. My ministry is not more important than uh, when teaching or being up here in the pulpit than someone who's ushering. We're, we all stand equally before the Lord, living out our passion, our area of passion that he's placed on our hearts. And so when you think of the table, you think of people coming to the table equally. And that's what ministry is all about. So you heard the story of Ross. And uh, Ross, they didn't go on and talk about that, but he's actually had more ministry himself since graduating from this program, helping others. Um, That's my own story. Somebody led me to the Lord, and they invested into me, and then I turned around and I started investing into others. It's a really, uh, ministry is incredible. It's just incredible. So one of the things we wanted to do was to educate you, but to invite you into the process and find areas where your own passion makes sense, where you can do what God has made you to do, whether it's in medical missions, whether it's speaking or teaching, or whether it's, you know, Bill and I, we're, we're teachers. That's what, the way God made us. I know how surprises you've done it. And uh, that's what we do. And yet while we were there, Nancy and Alicia were at the children's home. They're at the rescue home with girls who had, had been either stolen or purchased out of the slave market. And um, doing very different things that I could never do. And so one of the questions I have for you is, how has God made you? Where's your passion? How many of you have gone to Haiti? Let me see your hands. It's fantastic. You know, <clears throat> the best thing you can do is keep, keep your pastors kicked out of the nest. You know why? Because we are very different because of these experiences. I've been overseas for 15 years. I teach every year now in Mozambique and Nepal, two different trips. I'm a very different theologian. I'm a very different leader. I'm a very different pastor. I'm a different husband because of being with people that are far more broken than I will ever see. It's just the way it is. I'm sure those of you that have gone to Haiti, if I could sit down and have coffee and hear your stories, you came back very different than when you left. Am I right? I see the head shaking. For those of you that have been involved in benevolence and helped somebody locally that is, that is really hurting, those of you that were involved in the Ross story and others, you're different because of that. Am I right? If I could, if I could, if I could kick every member of our church out at least once or twice or three or four or five times a year, I would do it because we are so different as Christians. And I just want you to know that, that your money that you, when you make, because really you're the ones that fund all this and make it happen. And uh, we are very grateful. It's uh, it, it bears a lot of fruit. I want you to know what your pastoral staff does. You know, uh, Tom has led student ministry missions trips to Arizona. I think uh, Wyoming, I think France, he was the, uh, one of the conference speakers for a week at Idrahaji this year. Um, you know, I go to Mozambique and Nepal every year, and I teach there. Annika has been to um, Haiti 
Mark has been to Haiti. In fact, he's speaking at a conference coming up, International Missions Conference. I encourage them as much as I can, get out of the office and do this sort of stuff. All three of them have been involved in Bags, Wyoming, where we take vacation Bible school to a church that can't afford to do what we do here because we have more resources. And that's a missions trip in itself. Uh, so we are out and about in the world doing things locally. That's not even counting what we do here in, in the county as well as abroad. And I just want you to know that uh, your pastoral staff is very committed to the mission of going passionately. That's one of the legs, the three legs of our mission statement is going passionately. And uh, we want to model that and engage ourselves in that for you, not only for our benefit, but for your benefit because we're very different. The more I get our pastors out and doing things, the different they are. It's wonderful to watch. So if you, um, if you would like to get involved in some more of this, we'd like to invite you to do it. Trust me, ministry opportunities are coming out of our ears. You know why? People around us are broken. All around the world, they're broken. So we have ministry internally. We have ministry locally in the county. We have ministry in the United States. We have ministry abroad. And all the ministry is very effective. God is using it in some way to influence the people there and to influence us. So hopefully you've enjoyed these stories of impact. Maybe they give you some insight that you didn't have before about everything from discipleship and benevolence, uh, international education, evangelism, all the things that we do. And there's many more. And the tables out there represent the, uh, many of the other things that we do. We're going to take the offering now. And um, I mentioned a minute ago that today is Benevolent Sunday. Um, for those of you that may be new, once a month we have a Benevolent Sunday. Out back there's just receptacles and they say benevolence or community needs. If God leads you to put something in those receptacles, that all that money goes to what you saw with Ross, helping people locally that are in trouble. The, the, the offering that we're about to pass funds the rest of our church operations. Everything from VBS to... Uh, I know you hate to hear this, but turning the lights on, <laughs> paying for uh, your pastoral staff who desire to love you, um, all the Christian and theological education that we do, everything that we do as a church is funded by this. And let me just put in my word as I do every Sunday, thank you for your generosity. I, uh, it's just a delight to be a pastor here and to work with you as a congregation. So let me pray for you as you give to the Lord. Father, thank you for this offering. Our commitment is always and remains um, that we will be very faithful with it, to use it in ways that honor you, bring glory to your name, and spread the good news about your son Jesus to those around us who are hurting and in need. I pray, Father, for this congregation, these people here, they're very generous. I pray that you would bless them, Lord, as we talked about last week, that you would you would re restore, return to them the seed that they give and multiply and increase it so they have even more. Thank you, Lord, for their generous spirit. So bless them, Lord, because uh, it brings you a smile. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for, uh, thanks for giving.